0: But if I was going to say on some important things to think about, is um, using this question about meeting people where they are, listening, um, and um, really understanding that the work is about giving people. An opportunity to to both be witness to and in community witness to their own power and ability to effect change and that that's at heart what the work is <laughs> um, it's building people's capacities, both their skills and ways of doing things So people learn how to organize sometimes folks learn how to run a meeting or they learn how to actually Write flyers, or they understand how to now use social media to contact folks. They build skills, but it's also their own capacity in terms of their own belief and themselves as powerful actors in society.
1: Hey, folks. This is Stephen Pitts, host of Black Work Talk, and organize the Upgrade Podcast. Here we take a look at efforts around the country to build the collective power of black workers. Today, our guest is Lauren Jacobs. Lauren is the executive director of the Partnership for Working Families, a national network of regional power-building organizations. Lauren and I have been friends for over 15 years. I remember when she was a union organizer in Boston. I've loved the way Lauren combines things, race and class, theory and practice. That nuanced and rooted way of engaging the world is key to building real power to transform the world. It was wonderful to connect with Lauren again and talk. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. But I do want to remind you that we need your support. Here at Black Work Talk, we are committed to developing a vibrant conversation, bringing you the key voices building Black worker power in the workplace and in the neighborhood. Bringing you the best guests and the most timely discussions takes resources. We depend upon people power to grow. So please go to Patreon to make a financial contribution, large or small and become part of our community to support the work we do here at Black Work Talk. Black Work Talk comes to you via Organizing Upgrade, an online space created to strengthen social movements. If you appreciate Black Work Talk, check out Organizing Upgrade's weekly live show, Frontline Dispatches. The show spotlights organizers and activists at ground zero of fights for racial and economic justice. Like Black Work Talk, it gives the mic to people with worlds of insight who you might not hear elsewhere. You can catch it on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Pacific, or anytime on Organizing Upgrades Facebook page. Lauren, how you doing, girl?
0: Hey, how are you, Steven?
1: I'm fine, this is a Friday. Um, I feel good, you know, I feel good right now, and also kind of preparing for our conversation. One reason why I enjoy this podcast get to talk to old friends. I haven't mm-hmm. talked to you in a long time. Oh, wow. Very
0: long time. i talked
1: to Lauren. And for the audience, Lauren was the very, very first financial supporter of the podcast. That's
0: so right. She has
1: major access to the, to the powers that be. <laughs> um, so I, I do appreciate that by the way, Lauren. So thanks for that support. I really do.
0: Um, happy yeah. to and really happy that you're doing this much needed and very important podcast to get us all thinking and dialoguing right. in some ways.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about a lot of stuff and see how it flows. And I've seen in the last maybe half year or so a couple of good articles you've, you've, you've written or co-authored that are really intriguing. So I want to use those as kind of the, the, the backdrop for some conversations and to see what happens. And you wrote an article in um Ford, the Forge um, what webinar, whatever it's called, online. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about building a united front against authoritarianism. And um, you're t- and the idea is really important that we have this major threat in democracy. And it's called kind of all hands on deck. If you want freedom, democracy, let's come inside the United Front, which is a really important concept. But I have a question for you. How do you deal with the fact that some of those people on our side on this issue are at best very weak supporters of racial justice Mm-hmm. And, and in many ways, have promoted policies to make racial and economic inequality worse, and retard democracy. So in mm-hmm. some ways, it's not it's not fully the wolves inside the mm-hmm. use a metaphor, mm-hmm. but it's kind of that. So how mm-hmm. do you deal with the fact that we need it out in front,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: some of these allies won't be that strong? How do you deal with that, guy?
0: Um. It's excellent question, and I think it's like the question of the moment, and I think it's the plane that we are building as we fly it. Um, You know, I think there's some rooting of really trying to segment that apart, because I think about sort of the working class, which is, a you know, I think we understand that in terms of its material construction, but in terms of how people understand themselves, that's very complex and diverse. And I do think that... um, you know, having been an organizer for a long time and watch people start off with some conceptions of the way the world works, when we are, they're first in relationship with um, their union or an organization, and then through relationship have their understanding of both their own history, the history of their community, and the history of other communities they are in contact evolve. So I would say that's one front, is to say being a united front for part of the base that I feel is one of the most important to organize and build power for, um, we create an opportunity for people to become stronger in their militant opposition to white supremacy, uh, which is the way that we beat back white nationalism, which is sort of thriving in sort of the collapse of the benefits of white supremacy for a swath of the population, disappearing for a swath of the population right now. In terms of thinking about um, more elite players that are weak, anti-ra- anti-racist, anti weak even in terms of supporting social safety net, I think we both have to be um, ourselves pragmatic and know when we're allying with people and when we're not. So sometimes people are our friends and sometimes they're not and we're battling them. So on the front of... Um, know, no, you know, neo-Nazis and no (laughs) on um, brutal um, military takeovers of cities. I'm just thinking about Portland last year, the whole grabbing people and throwing them in vans and tear gassing folks on the streets. I, you know, I'm not so sure that we need to be in a moment that all of sort of liberal elites need to be completely aligned on a you know, tick list of analysis with me so much as we need them to show up and confront that. And then I can I'm more than happy to be in a fight with them about affordable housing or actually um, decommodifying housing the next week. I think that we have to be as um, progressives as the left a lot more um, clear on what is the sort of polarity or the fight that we're having and who's the alliance we're building around that particular fight knowing that that alliance may not hold for other fights that we're taking on?
1: The answer's really good um, for a lot of reasons, one of which, it kind of sharpened my question, because I think you correctly talked about two elements that may not be strong allies, kind of, for lack of a better term, the base and the elite. And to be honest, I was focused on the elite, by the way, when I said Mm -hmm. the question, but I think your kind of either intentional or unintentional qualification was super important. As I think about what you said about the base, Having some weak elements and the elite having some weak elements, it seems to me that as we engage the base better, it's easier to fight the elite. Uh-huh. And, and so, it, I guess what's in my head also is this notion that part of solidifying our base, using your terminology, is developing a program beyond just defense of democracy. Yes, because I think that a lot of of folk don't have strong investments in it, if you like a better term. I and mean, they aren't like, pro fascists but they breathe every day. But they might care more about their kid and their grandmama and those things. Yep. And might have the opinion that, well, voting the matter anyways, what, what the hell? What, who cares? And, and so it's not trying to ignore the question of saving democracy. It's just that in trying to strengthen our base, I think we've got to go beyond just the question of democracy in some ways. And, and if we do it well, it's easier to kind of uh, put pressure on the weak elite. And in my hopeful world, wait till the day with another side of the fence and get rid of them. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you also said in that article, um, God, um, don't, don't want to put words in your mouth, but let me do it anyway. You can correct me, right? But you talked about the the radical right an example, how they were like morphing into suburban yoga communities. I guess you're talking about how there are some elements of, of the radical right actually glommed onto yes, the the suburban yoga people. And 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 you said that notion of them kind of grabbing onto the suburban yoga folk it was similar to what Snick and others did in the 60s. Um I think you said that, tell me if I'm wrong, that it was the idea of meeting people where they are. Expanded that whole notion of, of meeting people where they are and the importance of doing that in, in good organizing.
0: Yeah, that was a reference to QAnon, which okay. um, you know morphs um, and will adapt itself to whatever subculture of the folks it is is with. And that was based on both you know having some different folks write some good pieces about what's happening on that front, and also even listening to um, you know on the media that talked about this group of suburban suburban yoga practitioners that have become QAnon followers. Um, And I think that's the right learning from a lot of um, organizing practices that we built, the progressives of the left built, right, about um, small communities, knowing who people's natural relationships are, starting from there, then connecting them to bigger organization, understanding that, you know, you can't be in relationship with 100 people, so there's some building up understanding what are the 10 or 15 that are strong and all the different places of groups we're trying to bring together. I think of it also in the way of thinking about, you know, I won't pretend to say I'm an uh, expert on um, the Mississippi Freedom Campaign, but in a lot of ways, the sort of, you know, dedication stick had to understanding who people were in the community, their own relationships to each other, and really thinking about having the folks on the ground, the regular folks lead the campaign and having the campaign have that flavor of them, as opposed to from the stick students coming down and doing it in the way that they would do it or the way that they think it should be talked about. Um, and I think that is a lesson um, to learn. I also do uh, really think that um, it is a warning bell for us to take very seriously um, uh the organization, the organizing that is going on on the
1: right. Now, as you're talking about the left, they were stealing our lessons, right, in some ways. I'm not sure all the left gets that. I think that, that, that there's a, a tendency to do performance amongst our people, you might say. And at best, that performative set of politics pushes the needle minimally at best, and I wonder sometimes if it doesn't actually turn people off. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to take that in two different directions. Let me just one direction right now, okay. Um, what are some good examples of us doing that, uh, of kind of identifying people where they are and kind of morphing in, a, in an organic, honest way? Um, with people and and drawing upon that power to to build movements?
0: I think um, the uprising this summer um, was a perfect example of that. And the dance and the interplay of both organizations with spontaneous groups that were coming together and doing actions on their own, um, was that it created space for people to be able to get in where they wanted to and how they could, um, and 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 at the same time, you know, the movement for Black Lives was not absent from that in terms of, you know, putting to, putting putting together organization and and drive and other things around it. So I do I do think that that was, in my view, one of the best examples I've seen of allowing uh, meeting people where they're at and not trying to come with talking points or, no, this is the right way to do it, (laughs) Um, uh, that we sometimes can do. (laughs) Um, You know, revert to our want-to-be-technocrats and not allow things to sort of organically build, right? Um, But at the same time, not sort of shying away from the need to um, focus and think about how to interact as an institution, as people that have... Um, been studying and understand sort of how uprisings or surges happen and what those moments afford us,
1: so. The example you mentioned, one of the, for me, the phenomenal thing about the uprising, um, I was driving through Marin County. It was like, like, as you you know, kind of north (laughs) of Miami and Oakland. Also, it's it's largely um, a white area. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And seeing so many homemade Black Lives Matter signs you know, it wasn't simply, you know, half the press, get get one of a series of 1,000, right? But people took the time to, in their own little crayons or paints or whatever on some paper or cardboard, have the signs, which is an example of kind of the organic reach and touch that we need to, to aspire to. Um, what I was gonna say, and I'll say, and you know, we can always edit it out right, and it come out good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but But seriously, I don't want to use the term, I don't want to go from the idea of performance politics mm-hmm. to cancel culture for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Though I will kind of do it, you know? Um, <laughs> I hate the term because it's being used by the right to to attack what we say. They can cancel day long, by the way. Right. But using, call a better phrase, you know what I'm talking about. That that, 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 that we can, we on our side can split hairs a lot and, and tend to draw a line in the sand in ways that is not really embracing folk overall. I think that tendency gets us away from guru organizing also.
0: Um, Absolutely. I mean, I, um, it has been, uh, one, you know, the things that, you know, uh, make your blood boil, um, especially anytime I hop on social media to see the way that people Assume that folks are going to come into this sort of sprung sprung into the world with fully developed analysis of political economy um, and will have never been wrong about anything or will never evolve. And I think that there is a sort of um, way in which we can be really harsh. People will say something or um, sometimes it could be like they've misphrased something and people will do the pylon. Sometimes it will be that the person is maybe not seeing something for full perspective. And our first thing is to sort of almost smack their hand. And I I, I think, you know, that may feel good because it makes us feel better about our own, you know, we know it in this, but it's not going to build a movement. And so I do think, um, you know, now I want to build a movement. I'm not interested in uh, winning arguments and I want to see a big movement Um, you know, I think we need to be really ambitious about being millions. And so I think that the way that happens is that um, we are willing to be with people as they are growing and progressing. Right. I remember this sort of this sort of uh, criticism came up really at the start of the one of the places that I remember it most clearly sparking was at the beginning of um Trump's term with the women's marches, so many people were like, oh, who are all these, you know, you know, this is this is so liberal and it doesn't get it and all these things. I'm like, sure, this is true. <laughs> but um I too once many years ago did not understand um fully how class works in our society. Um I had my own personal experiences of racism. But don't understand it as fully, that do not understand it as fully then as I do now how race and class are intertwined and cannot be separated. And so I think we have to meet people where they are and understand that they're on a journey just like we all once were at some point, um, and gaining understanding and gaining practice and, and gaining um, a sense of who they are and how they fit into history.
1: Uh, Lauren, you, you open up a whole new line of questions, by the way. That's why we can talk for uh, four or five <laughs> days, right? Because you said that you kind of let the slide it quickly, but I won't let it slide, to how when you first got involved in, in the movement, you had a sense of race and racism, but not class. And now you see how they're intertwined. Wow. T- tell me, a, I don't want the deep biography of every day what you did sort of thing, by the way. <laughs> But, but, give me a sense of how you saw the world back then that could have benefited from a better sense of class and wage being intertwined
0: yeah i mean i i say was I had a sense of class because I had a mother that earned very little working for one of the wealthiest banks in the country, right so so i you know and i, I grew up in in Harlem, so I lived you know it's like I had a sense of it, but I think really understanding um how i think there's a different way to be in touch in real life living and seeing the way that the system grinds people down um for me it's like i did see it with my mother who went to work was an older woman was in her 40s and was working with a lot of um whippersnappers in their 20s and 30s and they would call her by her first name and she would often refer cuz she was a receptionist and she would refer to other people by their last you know mr this and it it burned it burned me a lot about like how is this so that was you know one and I may have understood them more about race at that time and now I understand it is how these two work in tandem right you know my mother was both you know sort of low on the totem pole in that office as well as um, a black woman that folks felt that they could talk to in any kind of way I also think that you know it was the work of being an organizer um, on union drives really first starting out in the South and at first having a sense of it's some really bad employers who do bad things, um, and then by the like fifth um, workplace seeing that the pattern keeps replay keeps existing really understanding this is systemic. <laughs> This is almost everybody's experience of work, right? This is everybody's experience of how um, this economy grinds them down and extracts from them in the end. And the 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 nature of the exploitation is slightly twinged depending on um, the confluence of identities that people have, but the the but the extraction and the exploitation, you know, remains the same. I think that 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 that's imbued me with a real um i mean one it's why i've stayed an organizer for over 25 years i think i got this look at the world in a different way and it becomes impossible to look away again you can't yeah. forget what you see
1: yeah for real um it's, it's always there with you now, as you're talking I, you know, yesterday I, I was part of a panel out here the Zoom panel, of course, right? That that, that <laughs> talked about the whole question of of the violence against Asians in, in the Bay and on the, in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And after the panel, a woman I know from some Union stuff, she called me and she was saying, you know, Stephen, what's fascinated by that kinds of it's a black woman. What's fascinating is I didn't know that Asians had problems with police, also.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 I th- I th- I thought of that when you mentioned your comment because we see things through our lenses, and because we're almost raised to see things through a race lens that is very real, by the way, it's not saying it's false, it's fake, but it's incomplete
0: uh-huh. as
1: we talk about it, then, then seeing how what we see are, are black racial experiences it may not just be black racial experiences. And the question is simply is how much do we see how class or political economy also at the, at the ground floor uh, of, of the cause of those, 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 those experiences is an important thing. Um, so I don't lose a train of thought as we get wandering to one of the many different detours. Um, <laughs> I wanna I want wrap up the, the, um, the QAnon morphing question, okay?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, and, uh-huh.
1: and we talked about the left has the lessons and we discussed the left does it okay, good and bad, if someone said, "Well, Lauren, give me like three pointers how to do it better," what would you say? Maybe they should do.
0: Well, the first point I would say is none of us have completely figured it out. Thus, why we are not in we are not in charge of the economy <laughs> and the state yet. But if I was going to say on some important things to think about is. Um, I do think this question about meeting people where they are listening um, and um, really understanding that the work is about giving people an opportunity to, to both be witness to and in community witness to their own power and ability to affect change and that that's at heart what the work is. Right. Um, It's building people's capacities, both their skills and ways of doing things. So people learn how to organize. Sometimes folks learn how to run a meeting or they learn how to actually write flyers or they understand how to now use social media to contact folks. They build skills, but it's also their own capacity in terms of their own belief in themselves as powerful actors in society.
1: When I hear that, I think that the the way I receive that, Maybe be how you meant it, by the way. But hey, you know who cares? <laughs> but, but it's it's the idea that in some ways, the policy fights should be secondary. In some ways, the policy fights are simply the the the, I know, the vehicle, the vessel, uh-huh. to do the deep sort of personal change that builds us the power to change the world. Yep. Um, and, and and a lot of times, what happens is because of Mr. Foundation, a Ms. Foundation. Not mm-hmm. the MS Foundation, by the way, but a foundation, right? Or are sometimes our class lenses actually we focus on on policies very quickly, mm-hmm. and we don't talk about actually building power with people. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the way you talked about how how we try to hook hook up with people so they can actually see themselves and see the power, both current power and potential power. It's really really good, Lauren. Thanks for that. Um, You were talking about class and, and race, and that gets into another part of that article, which was a good article, people. By the way, um, I'm going to put it in the in kind of the notes, show notes. But it was um, in the Forge. It's called "Building a United Front Against Authoritarianism." You also talk about this issue of race and class that we discussed a bit already. But you had a nice little quote that I want to put out there. Okay, then make sure I get it right. <laughs> don't laugh. You said it now. He didn't say it. Don't put it. In, don't don't put it in print. Okay.
0: I think okay. I remember it.
1: We <laughs> should have a game. 20 questions. Was it Stephen? Was that Stephen? <laughs> no, but, the, but what you said is that the debates have gone on about is it race? Is it class? They've been a bit silly because I don't think there ever been a way that you can talk about class in a serious way in the United States without understanding race. It is how class is experienced. That's no, all that aside. I don't know if that was the quote you thought I was going to pick, by the way. Well, was it? It was. Okay. Like mine. Like mine. I remember
0: that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but seriously, um, the whole notion of, of the interplay of class and race, and you said it does mean race, right? It's how class is experienced. What do you mean by that? Go, give me some depth on that, okay?
0: This is not my brilliance. This is Stuart Hall. Um, and I encourage people to read, and I find myself going back to essay Gramsci and us. Say it again, please. us. I hope I'm getting that right, by okay. Stuart Hall. Um, and um, so, what do I mean by that? I mean that um, for um, the prim- United States, primary way that we conceive of ourselves: white, black. Um, and I mean, and I'm meaning white, black on that binary in the political sense of there's white representing power and black representing not the power side. And then you have all the sort of fractured identities that start to emerge of immigrant Latinx, Asian, Southeast Asian, um, and then religious my mi- religious minorities that are also um, enshrined in that in that sort of bi- that sort of binary that we live in. Um, It is how um, still so much ingrained, and to some degree I find it insane um, that people think that because we had um, really 20 years of post-the-freedom movement, of some, (laughs) some legislative shifts and some intention on changing who was sitting in which seats, that we've all started and that people sh- change their language. That we've just forgotten about that divide of power and how resources are divided, how um, access to and I'm talking material resources, but then also um, sort of that then what you would refer to as the other cultural resources of like whose images are promoted as American or the central the central person that people think of as the character of the country who is seen as um, even things like beautiful or um, ambitious or smart, all of those sort of cultural things. I think that we are, we we had this sort of brief period where there was a shift on this, and now we sort of think, oh, well, we, we solved that, so we can just talk about just class. And I think the thing I think is wrong in that is that one of the first ways that I know for... At the black folks, and I'll just speak for black folks I've worked with, black folks in my family, um, this person, me, this black person, <laughs> understanding how I understood why, um, why we lived in Harlem, why, um, you know, in my high school that all of the white kids lived below 96th Street, right? And a lot of the black folks lived above 96th Street. Understanding all that was through a complete lens of, of race. It is race, but it it is also about class. It was access to which jobs our parents were doing and how our parents were treated, with they went to get loans from a bank, or whether the condo, you know, a co-op board, or whether it was co-all co-ops in one area, or if it was rentals in another area. So there were material conditions that are related to class that were imbued in, v- in that, but the sort of way that we lived it and understand it was through the lens of race, and I think that's very much true um, for the other side of this equation as for for white folks, and I think that's what we're seeing in terms of um this, you know, sort of uprising of dis- of um the sort of white panic <laughs> that we're seeing of losing the country in terms of its majority white status, um, is in part a panic about material conditions, right? <laughs> and also then the related cultural things that are attached to that in people's heads.
1: No. Um we could talk like a long time on this, by the way. So first of all, the part that you said was Stuart Hall's idea, that'll be edited out. Okay. So you're clear. we give you full credit for it, by the way. Um <laughs> But um, I thought of two things that you said that. One was to the extent that, to say it kind of maybe too crudely, too, too sharp away, mm-hmm. that black folks see problems to have a material problem rooted in class, see as a racial problem that says that we need to be quote unquote softer on racialized expressions of dissent because simply people using the language they know to express angst and anger and organize around conditions that lead to political economy. Mm-hmm. That's a really important idea by the way, because for some people, if they don't hear the term itself, or they don't see the term itself, then it has to be a bad idea, it's neo-national, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's really important to talk about and understand. I also wonder, and I wish I had the answer, by the way, but I, alas, don't, is how do you also shift the language and the practice so all feel, see, intertwined nature of those two things? Because if... Black folks see blackness as an issue fundamentally. So uh-huh. really, they see in as race and class intertwined. Uh-huh. But white folks see blackness as being the issue's attack on them and not an attack to redistribute material resources, then the language can, can be a barrier.
0: Right.
1: And, and so to me, it's, it's a difficult and it's a fascinating intellectual question. It's a really hard as hell practical question. All oh, that dance of representing how people fight back with the tools they have,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but knowing sometimes those tools can limit the expansion of power building. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the answer is, Lauren,
0: one of is the the director answer- of the <laughs> yeah. of Working Families. <laughs> one of the answers is, um, I think it's one of the critical reasons why um, really dedicating to a growth in the labor movement is critical. Um it's been one of the few spaces I've seen where, and I shouldn't say one of the few spaces, it's, it's the space I have spent the most time in where I've seen um, working people cross-race, cross-gender identities, cross-sexual identities, um, be able to hear each other um, and um, hear each other's pain and then be able to take action together. And it's not overnight. It is about being in an organization, um, whether that be in that's the shop, that's the larger bargaining unit um, for a period of time, for a longer period of time, and being in um, organizing situations where people are asked to actually hear from each other. Um, And I think that that has been in my view where I've seen um, transformations, um, from folks. I mean, I'm just thinking about a unit of, um, at Harvard University, of the campus security officers, and that workforce was mostly Pakistani, Haitian, um, a variety of officers from across West Africa, and a block of, um, white security officers, all men, Uh, pretty much, Um, and I mean, they had history before we were involved with them, so some of this listening and knowing each other had already happened, so this is about that, going back to that meeting people where they are, there were communities, but sort of the opportunity to sort of sit and uh, really speak about what it means to uh, knowing that um how the Pakistani officers are being treated. I think it was very interesting to watch some of the black officers here, some of the Pakistani officers refer to themselves as black because they were dark skinned. Um, and um and I think for the white officers too, sitting and hearing like, oh, this is how discrimination is playing out over here, right? This is what's happening, right? So th- it then, you know, that energy could be focused on the boss as a source of grief for everybody, but it created a moment of being able to be in real solidarity with each other, and for people to take a step to understanding. Okay, how do I start to change how I'm interacting because I actually, I actually like this person, and now I know a little something about some of the things that the boss is doing to them that maybe I've done, and I need to clean up my stuff. Right?
1: You know, one thing I thought as you are talking when you said that is the knowing the limitations of activism where the participants are self-selecting.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Because what you talked about, you gave an example of sitting where people simply want a job. And my job's at Harvard, security guard, that's what I do. All of a sudden, damn, who are you? Okay, let's throw it all together, right? Which allows doesn't guarantee, by the way, but allows, as you said, for that kind of cross-fertilization. Um, but when we have a lot of self-selecting movements, then there's a, there'll be a tendency to kind of not talk to people who don't roll with, with us. Mm-hmm. And that also is another limiting factor for our power. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you define class, by the way? I do. <laughs> oh, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way. Just drop this one. Um I define I mean, this is a this is like the million dollar question in the US. I, I mean, I, I personally have maybe the most basic. I'm just like, do you own do you make your money through owning things or are you working? And so all of this, like our, you know, fights that have happened about the PMC and everything, I think it's important in understanding how people culturally feel and how close they may feel to elites. But at the end of the day, if you're pulling down a paycheck just like Everybody else is pulling down the paycheck. I'm like, you're a worker. You work for somebody. <laughs>
1: okay, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to think through it more, so it'd be good to have um or reading a discussion of the idea. I, I think that that sometimes we use class as a weapon, and mm-hmm. we would use in the way that more is a signifier than actually an explanatory factor. I'm not, yeah, yeah. I, I do it by the way. I'm not saying that I'm cool how I use it. I know that how it's done. <laughs> I've tried to shift it to talk more about political economy in mm-hmm. some ways. I think sometimes we use a class instead of saying political economy, instead of saying capitalism, by the way. yeah. Um, and I've been trying to think through, I don't say a fluid definition of class, but just, I mean, I, I would take what you said about owning something and go back to my old jargon about the means of production. And, and cause I'm still in my jargon world, and you can be free, but I'm still in my jargon world, okay? And And how do people relate to the means of production, you know, and, 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 to be honest, Lauren, I like that expression better than own something because you can have different types of relationships. That's true. It's not just own or not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and, and I think that if it's used well, mm-hmm. not just a little piffy short sentence, mm-hmm. um, it allows you to get, explore those things mm-hmm. and then explore how people's ideas and attitudes and, and, and benefits stem from that. So in the example, let's say, of, of, of the security guards at, at Harvard, at one level, they're all the same in terms of how they relate to the means of production.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But they aren't quite the same to the extent that, that the boss tends to divide up the workforce differently.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and so those, those quote-unquote slight differences in the relationship can spin off some major divisiveness in the in the class itself.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, so, so it's would be fascinating to have a really good, rich discussion over this.
0: Yes, I would say to all those on the left that seem to want to keep waging the wars on, oh, you, we don't need to worry about race; it's just class. I'm like, I to me, I hear that I'm like, you've never organized, you've never organized, and you've never organized a workplace. Because I was going to say, you want to know how, you know, race is real is when you watch the bus deploy it to split everybody up and get them fighting in the middle of, you know, of a campaign or, or even just while, well, you know, in the middle of a contract. Right. Just how it gets deployed to divide, divide people. I was like, it it is real.
1: <laughs> but also I think what happens. So I think that's really important what you said from the context of worker organizing in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But I think about our communities, so how they segregated, I think there the issue is race is very real. Yeah. The class is class rather very real. You know, whole question around, around housing, you talked about very quickly in an offhand manner, decommodifying de- 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 housing. That's much, much different from promoting home ownership, by the way. Uh-huh. And so a lot of ways, that reflects two different kind of class positions on housing that get, gets blurred over when we talk about black, white homeownership rights. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I use an example. I was talking to a woman who does some really great work around the with former incarcerated. She herself is former incarcerated. And she was saying with all the discussion over in California legalizing marijuana and the whole county to the cannabis in, in, in this industry, how to get our fair share of that, she's saying her folks can't pass a drug test to get a job. And so that's another example of a class perspective on the issue of, of marijuana. Right. And so I think you're fully right that that. The best way to understand race sometimes is going to a workplace, get away from this class only sort of thing. I'd flip it around, or oh, I would add, add on to that and say the best way to explore the questions of class inside the, the, the racial communities is go deeper into people's issues mm-hmm. and, and see how that operates. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want th- the answer to answer another problem. I need to see so today your job is solving your problem, probably <laughs> Lauren. So yeah. I want another answer to solve my problems. And and I've always wanted to, to talk to people about what we want out of an economy. And, and another article that I kind of paraphrased the title, right? It said, Organizing the Economy We Want. It talks to this notion of, of really the Green New Deal and building a green workers' alliance. I'm going to get to that in a second, though, because I want to raise, before we get to that, this whole question of, in all of our fights around Develop an anti-racist world. What sort of political economy supports that? And I kind of used the example one time. We had some some sort of conference. We we're talking about, and I raised the question, kind of mischievous way. I said, you know, if if we all want to, you know, live on the beach with our little piña coladas, who is making the piña colada?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, by the way, okay, and and and. and I'm not saying that's, the, that's, the, that's our dream. That's our dream, <laughs> anti racist world, by the way, or be on the beach with you know, the peanut coladas. But you know what I'm saying, though, that, that, that it's important to think through those issues of production and distribution mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So give me your, your first pass to this notion of what sort of political economy supports an anti racist world.
0: At the end of the day, capitalism is not going to allow <laughs> the destruction of race. It is necessary.
1: Destruction of what?
0: Race. Okay. Um, and so, I don't know, you know, I don't think we can have a society where we accept that some people can have um, ridiculous amounts of wealth while other people barely scrape by and think that there's not, you know, it may may be different than what this looks like, but it will continue to replicate some sort of racialized category because it will need to just, it will need to have a culture and a mythology to justify (laughs) that um, inequality. Um. So, what is the political on the opposite side? What is the political economy that supports um, a um, anti-racism, or I would say the destruction of race? Um, Because you know that's really what we're talking about, right? (laughs) Um, Is that ending the sense of racialized beings? We may be ethnic beings. We may be people with different cultural practices. um, or different languages, but we are not raced in the way that we think of it now. I think it is one where um, we are committed to, um, you know, uh, equitable distribution of resources, where people are commonly stewarding um, production, commonly stewarding land. And I'm saying stewarding in, intentionally, um, because that it's about a collective responsibility for its responsible use. Um, I see that also as a feminist point of view, too, right? So sort of referring to these questions of going back to um, some of the feminist interrogations of how we get to a class society. Um, and um, I do think that some of the questions around what then comes out of that change in terms of how um means of production and social reproduction, occur and how those things are not sort of split valued as they are now um actually will transform i think some of the questions even about i think it will transform even those questions around ethnicity or differences or how we really conceive of ourselves it's sort of beyond my conception because all i know is this right it's that's why it's so hard for us right to sort of think ahead because we have known nothing but this this has been sort of um the the construct of how society works that we've all come up in we have not known anything else um, but I do think the moments that I sometimes have seen um, where people really sort of breathe into all of us together um, they give you a glimpse of what it could look like and it's a really joyful place
1: I'm I'm laughing Laura because you said about three or four phenomenally deep nuggets that things you said, like, oh, by the way, capitalism can't, We can't have no rage without no capitalism, oh, by the way. And, oh, by the way, it's linked to feminist intuition. Oh, I mean, kind of, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of deep stuff, your girls so thought I was saying, okay? Um, but that would be part two. I, I need to envision a way to get a lot of my guests back together again as a as, a, as, a, as, a, as a round table, seriously, and have y'all kind of just expand on things. This is really, really good. Um, but the article, I thought, also talked about this question of the, of the Green Worker Alliance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it seemed as I was reading the article, and tell me how far off I am and, and go deeper into this, it seems some ways you were talking about this notion of a Green Worker Alliance as a complement to the Green New Deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so one, that I kind of pick up on that? Was that accurate? Um, and then if so, why do you see the need for this complement to the Green New Deal?
0: Um, I think that, the I mean, the, so the Green Workers Alliance is a fiscal project of the Partnership for Working Families. We're really excited to be um, lending whatever support we can um, to this effort that uh, Matthew Myers and um, Jeff Ordauer and others are like leading and um, putting in motion. And I think it's really sort of rejecting, you know, sort of really trying to make an intervention here on the way. Um, and this is not the right as we conceive in the United States. I would say this is sort of um, the neoliberal on over to the right, right? Um, from neoliberals over, have tried to categorize or have tried to marginalize this conversation around the need for a radical shift in how we produce and how we extract to save human life. I mean, this is the insanity of our economy that I don't know another species on this planet that does not act in its own self-preservation, but as if we're like, well, let's keep drilling, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll build, we'll we'll go to Mars. This is like, um. But anyway, back to the point. Um, and I think you know the the brilliance of it is to say, well, there's there are workers in that sector, um, that are doing solar panel installation, recycling. All these jobs that are related to. Um, sort of the greening of the economy, they are not yet um, overwhelmingly not unionized. They're overwhelmingly um, not organized in any way. There's no worker center that's devoted to that sector Um, and overwhelmingly um, don't have a voice in this debate. So the debate gets set up as we can either have jobs or we can save human life on the planet. And... Um, the intervention here is like we should be organizing them as workers, right, to improve conditions, but they're also a critical piece and voice in this debate of saying this isn't a dichotomy. There's plenty of jobs in this sector. We're doing them, right? And could put them as real, um, again, I think creating this whole thing going back to creating, building people's capacities, it's putting them as central actors into the story. And into driving, what are the outcomes that happen here?
1: Well, to me, the whole idea of driving is super important because we get a lot of phenomenal policies that we know power to win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so there's some, some discussion now over, you know, have we seen the end of neoliberalism? You know, and those sort of debates. And, and, and my question is always, well, what's the social base for this new world you're talking about? And my thought is about the social base, the new world, you won't see a new world. And so when I hear you talk about the idea of other people that are doing these jobs or could be doing these jobs and they need to be organized for a number of things, to me, it's part of the idea of building a social base for the better world. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, that's, that's really good. Um, let me shift gears, kind of begin to wind down a little bit and, and talk more about you. Okay, um, don't shake your head, so I can see it. don't, don't <laughs> shake your head. And I don't mean clearly on you in a, in a narrow sort of way, but um, first of all, we've alluded to it briefly, but I know you're ED of the Partnership for Working Family. What is that, and what do you do? Not you, ED, but you as a network.
0: Yeah. Um, so the Partnership for Working Families, that will be our name for two months more,
1: um, oh, wait a second. What's the name? Tell us now. I can't
0: tell you now. You'll have to... Oh, wait, wait, I want to scoop. I am, I am personally inviting you to our launch um, in July 21st. Come come join us, and you can find out the new name then.
1: I um, want the scoop. What's the name? <laughs> hey, come on. You have a choice, Lauren. Either give me the scoop or push it to the 20th of July, my birthday. One of the two, okay? You have a choice. Okay.
0: <laughs> we'll have a special birthday message at the close. The...
1: Sounds good. We're gone. <laughs> but...
0: Um, But we are a network of 20 um, locally based um, organizations primarily formed as coalitions, um, either as their central organization model or as part of their model, Um, and our folks that are bringing together labor, environment, tenant organizations, neighborhood organizations, racial justice and gender justice organizations into permanent relationship with each other to think about strategies and work to build governing power. And I don't mean that in the sense of occupying government, but the power to actually move policy, but move, and that's policy both in legislation, but it's also policy as we think about it in a workplace, right? So having a workplace change its rules as well, but driving an agenda in those cities. And so um, we are sometimes hard to pin down because People will be like, well, what do you work on? Is it jobs? Is it the environment? Is it, is it housing? And I'm like, it's all of it because people, working people, worry about all of those things. So we think about approach our work from 24 hours that working people are up and are and um, worried about issues. We're working at the intersection of those issues and thinking about ways in which we can win on multiple fronts simultaneously.
1: That's good. Um... I know about the partnership. I, I was on the board of eBay so i here in the Bay and folk do really good work. So I'm um, glad you're there. Yeah. And I'm glad folk doing the good work. I wish I knew the name, by the way, but I'll simply not know <laughs> for another, another two months Now I'll learn the name. Um, that, that sounds great. Um, but you alluded to your mother and her job um, and how you saw her experiences and, and shaped you to some level. If I could ask you for your movement aha moment what kind of got the light bulb to be turned on what 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 might that be that movement aha moment for you
0: it growing up in new york city and um so for people that know the layout of new york this will make sense for those that don't sorry but i grew up in west harlem so it's not it's a working class community um and um You know, yes, you know, I grew up, there was a spate of us kids that on any afternoon were out out on 140th Street playing either stickball or whatever else. Um, And our parents were in slightly different economic situations. Some folks, it really was real scraping by. Other of us were more comfortable, like we weren't worried about whether rent was going to be paid, but we also weren't kids running around with, you know, the new and latest all the time. I remember getting teased for having skips, which at that time was not having, you know, the the best tennis, tennis shoes or sneakers. <laughs> um, so um, I think for me, the aha was going um, to organize in the South and um, seeing both the, um, Black folks and white folks living in what was akin to shacks. Um, And that sort of taking in of like poverty in a different way. Um, Because it's a very different thing when it's sort of masked behind a sort of stone building and, you know, maybe things are a little bit um, meager inside, but there's at least sort of a sense of like you're sheltered from things. And that just uh, was a big aha. And I think the seeing that across different um, seeing that across different um, workplaces and then knowing what the conditions of the owners of the factories that we were um, organizing, what it looked like where they lived just really was a big aha moment. Of, again, going back to that, like this is systemic. This isn't about a certain select bad people or a bad boss. This is how the whole system is designed to work.
1: We we're, were in the South?
0: Arkansas, Virginia, where, okay, okay. yeah.
1: Okay. Um, another question: How do you define? How do you define black freedom?
0: Yeah, um, I define black freedom. There's a scene in you know, there's the opening of "Their Eyes Were Watching God" by Zora Neale Hurston, where she talks about the moment that people come home from having worked in the fields and sort of talks about this, like almost peeling off of a mule skin, right. And sort of start to occupy their full being and the laughter and the sharing of stories and, um, the sharing of food. And I think about that moment of black freedom being that ability to be exactly who we are in all the myriad ways that we are, right. That there is no one way to be black. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of things that bind us culturally in terms of our sense of humor, of food, um, things that we joke about in terms of our relatives, about you know how they how they how they handle certain things, or the things that we all got scolded about. But it's being in all that and being able to occupy that in a way that it's not in reference to anybody else. And so I don't I don't I was thinking about this, and I was like I think Black freedom means that um whiteness i'm not talking about white people but whiteness has been destroyed because then we can just be be us not in relationship to anybody else
1: another kind of nugget because one thing yeah you know, we go home kick back be ourselves that makes sense all of a sudden destroy whiteness wake well girl what do you say not destroy whiteness <laughs> but we'll let that go to the next 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 podcast discussion um What books are you reading?
0: I am quite enjoying um, Barbara Ransby's biography of Ella Baker right now. Mm. Um, I normally have two books that I read, like one nonfiction, one fiction, because usually the nonfiction is too heavy. And so I try to have like sort of an escape novel at night. But this is so beautifully written and it's really great to be reading about another organizer. So I read it. You know, both before bed, waking up in the morning, and taking a quick break in the middle of the day.
1: <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds yeah. good. how about music though? What music keeps you moving well?
0: Um I have been um a playlist person. So I've 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 given over to the streaming. And um the latest playlist I've crafted has um some fela kuti. Um zombie. Say it again, please. Fela Kuti. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, some and some rebirth brass band, and then even some of the stuff from my youth. I was going to say yes, some Gen X um, hardcore from DC. So in other areas, so I've, I think I've been listening to Reagan Youth again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sort of the similarities of the timeline are um, coming up. Um, as well as one artist that's new to me that I've been really enjoying is um, this um new artist, Moses Sumney. Um, so I, 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 I okay. yeah, I encourage you to check him
1: out. So. Sounds great. Well, this has been phenomenal. Seriously. I mean, I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you this time. I forgot how much I enjoyed talking with you. So thanks for coming on. Okay.
0: Thank you for asking me, Stephen, and good luck with the, uh, The series, it's great. It's just such a great gift to the movement, especially at this time.
1: Wow, that was great. Lauren casually dropped so many nuggets. The need to build the capacity of everyday people so they can see themselves as critical actors to change the world. The need to distinguish between those unreliable forces in the united front against authoritarianism that are members of the elite and those that are potentially members of our base for broader transformation We need to understand the the relationship between the material forces that oppress people and the language they use to talk about it and act on that oppression what a wonderful conversation thanks for joining me this week on black work talk i hope this podcast can grow to become part of the network of our movement for change We need your help as we build the Black Work Talk community. Please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you find your podcast, and go to Patreon to become a sustainer. And beyond the financial support, I would love to hear from you. What do you think about the show? Any suggestions of future guests or future topics to explore? Please let me know. Reach out to me at steven at blackworktalk.com, and I promise to get back to you. Until the next episode, stay safe and be well.